Regarding sin, Pastor Xavier Reese explains it's God's exception to judge, while His rule to forgive. He will convict you. He will check you. He will chasten you. He will chase you. He will do everything, but you must turn from your sin. Do you remember the prodigal son? He was out there fighting with the pigs over some corn. The father was lovingly waiting for the son to come. He was open, but he had to get up out of the pig's hand. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What does the woman caught in adultery and the rich young ruler have in common? They both received a personal invitation for eternal salvation, of course. The difference between the two is that the adulterous woman repented and received the gift, but the young rich man walked away from the offer. And in the continuation of our series in the book of Jeremiah, Pastor Xavier emphasizes, though God is patient, He is also certain to judge the sin of the unrepentant. Listen in to our simple truth study and make a decision for yourself, if you've yet to, regarding your eternity. The message is entitled, God's Reluctant Judgment. God is constantly being accused, especially by the non-believer, that he is uh, impatient and loving, and he brings judgment without sufficient warning. Nothing could be further from the truth. God always warns. God always reveals what he's going to do, particularly when it comes to judgment. As you know, God gave to Noah the message 120 years, and they mocked, and they rejected it, and they perished. Now, 120 years, I think, is pretty patient. Plenty of warning over and over and over again. The days of Jeremiah are no different, as you have already seen in the few chapters we have looked at. And if you've read the whole book, you see the consistent warning and proclamation about judgment. But after warning has been declared by the prophet, people still harden their heart. And so what we want to do is look to Jeremiah as Jeremiah reveals the holy, righteous judgment of God evident by three things here in verses 1 through 9. Notice, first in verse 1 and 2, Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin. Secondly, verse 3 and 5, Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. His patience with ongoing sin. And then thirdly in verse 6 through 9, Yahweh's certainty to judge sin. His certainty to judge sin. Notice in verse 1, the beginning, God challenges the prophet to seek out a man. The particular command is that the prophet Jeremiah run up and down through the streets of Jerusalem to seek out a man in her open places. To see if there is a person who is living obedient to Yahweh. But notice also that not only there was no one who was doing and living out justice, but... Even though this is happening, the precious promise of Yahweh was that if he could find a person, he would pardon the city. And the act of pardoning the city would be an act of mercy, less than they deserve, as well as grace, something they did not deserve, just like you and I. We got saved, we received grace, we didn't deserve it. And every day we receive grace and mercy over our lives. Notice secondly, verse 3 through 5, Yahweh's patience is ongoing. So his holy righteous judgment is evident by Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. 
Notice first in verse 3, the prophet declares the ways God attempts to turn people from their sin. First, Jeremiah here acknowledges the omniscience of Yahweh regarding the people's corruption by declaring, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? In other words, nothing escapes his penetrating vision. There is not a single thing that anybody can inform God about. Now, Jeremiah acknowledges the loving chasing of Yahweh to turn the people and their refusal to turn. You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Look at um, chapter 6, verse 16 and 17. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, stand in the ways uh, and see, and ask for the old path. So he tells Jeremiah, stand in the crossroads. And declare people to show you the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will have, find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Look at 17. Also, I said, watchmen over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. The refusal to turn. That is man's doing, not God. But remember Pharaoh. He hardened his own heart. And because he kept hardening his own heart, then God strengthened him in that position. And it gets more difficult. The more times you say no, the harder it is to say yes. Notice, secondly, here, verse 4 and 5, the prophet determines to search out among the poor in response to God's challenge. So he's going to take God up on it. The prophet searches out and first among the poor people. Jeremiah says, surely these are poor and foolish. The prophet thought that perhaps the poor were at a disadvantage since they had not learned the ways and the judgments of their Lord, their God. And it's okay to go out of our way to give people the benefit of the doubt, but God has told them already. But Caesar Jeremiah, well, you know, Lord, you know, I mean, they're poor and this and that. So he went searching there, didn't find anybody. The prophet then went to the great men in verse 5. The prophet said, I will get me unto the great men and I will speak to them. The reference to the great men was the middle and upper class up to the king. The prophet Jeremiah gives the reason. Notice, for they have known the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. So they had the greater light. They had the greater accountability. The prophet Jeremiah to his acknowledgement says, listen, but these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Though the prophet confessed that the great men were worse, having completely broken all ties with Yahweh, in effect, there was no difference between the poor and the great ones. Both were all corrupt as Yahweh declared. There is none good, no, not one. All have gone astray. Peter understood the patience of God regarding ongoing sin as he wrote his second epistle, knowing that he was going to be with the Lord soon. Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness or tardiness, but his long-suffering, long-nosed towards us, patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
That's the type of God that we serve. He is so loving. He is so patient. He will convict you. He will check you. He will chasten you. He will chase you. He will do everything. But you must turn from your sin. You remember the prodigal son? He was out there fighting with the pigs over some corn. And the prodigal son said, I know what I will do. I will rise up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. The father was lovingly waiting for the son to come. He was open, but he had to get up out of the pig's pen. As powerful as God is, he will not turn you from your sin. But he will enable you for you to turn yourself from your sin, if you will. The woman who was caught in adultery was offered forgiveness and true repentance. She took it. The rich young ruler was offered eternal life. He rejected it. And over and over again in the New Testament, you have people who are offered salvation. They're given the condition and they choose. If you've ever read the book of Amos, Amos is a great book. Amos chapter 4, verse 6 through 12. Just bear with me. Listen, because he, he, he mentions all this pursuit to turn them from sin. He says, also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, famine, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me. Says the Lord, I also withheld rain from you when there was still three months in the harvest. I made it rain in one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part rain upon one and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities gathered together uh, to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blast you with the blight and the mildew when your gardens increase, your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you plagues after the manner of Egypt, your young men I killed with the sword, along with your captive horses. I made the stench of the come up to your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me. I mean, God gets, keeps putting the pressure more and more, and it's amazing the misery that we will just commit ourselves to live in, rather than turn. I overthrew some of you. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, here's the conclusion. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Scary words in the Bible. Some of the most scary words. Prepare to meet your God. Listen, if you're not forgiven, you're not prepared to meet your God. Because you will have to give an account for everything you've ever done. And I don't think you can handle it. I know you can't. You may think you can here. But everybody shoots their mouth out here. But not there. And so the holy righteous judgment of God is evident by Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. But there is a line we don't know where. But once God in all his love sees that a person crosses it, he can do nothing. Be he a person, be he a nation. And I think this is important in view of our nation, where we're at right now, with all that's gone on. Notice 30. The holy righteous judgment of God is evident by Yahweh's certainty to judge sin. This is the bottom line. 
When that line is crossed, judgment will come. Notice first in verse 6, the inevitable judgment is pronounced. Yahweh describes their destruction through wild beasts. Now some think that the lion, the wolf, and the leper are symbolic of Babylon. That's coming. Though it may be possible, I don't find anything in the context to tell me it's figurative. And I do have evidence in scripture where it's been applied literally. In fact, the king of Assyria, when he took the northern kingdom and took some of the Israelis out and planted them in, in, in other nations and then took people from Babylon and put them there in Samaria, God allowed the animals to begin to devour them. And so the king brought in a priest to teach them the ways of Yahweh. Listen in Second Kings 17, 24 and 25. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Abba, Hamathath, and from Sepharabim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in the cities. And it was so at the beginning of these dwelling there that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So I believe that part of the judgment here was not only Babylon, but when they were out in the fields in different places, that God used animals to bring judgment on them. There is nothing in the text that would lead me to believe that it's figurative. I'm open for it, but I don't see anything in the text. I believe it's literally literal here what he's talking about. But whichever way you go, it's not going to send you to hell. I give you the reasons why I choose what I choose, because I don't see anything in the text that indicates figuratively. Now, notice the reason is for their judgment, or the reason for their judgment is twofold. First, because their transgressions are many, and secondly, because their backslidings had increased. Look at chapter 5, verse 12. It says, They have lied about the Lord and said, It is not he, neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see the sword of famine. Today people, oh yeah, you guys, the tribulation, the antichrist, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? All right, pucker up, buttercup. Um, <laughs> it's coming. Look at verse 28, same chapter. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause of the father. But yet they prosper in um, the right of the needy. They do not defend. They get rich. They prosper. Look at our nation. There's such dishonesty in business and everything else. Everybody is out to make a buck and, and just embezzle and, and rip people off. And especially the elderly and everything else. Look at verse 30 and 31. He says, an astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so. But what will you do in the end? What a description of the church today in our nation. Verse 11. The prophets prophesy falsely. Do you know that there are so many false teachers today and these churches are packed out? My people love it so. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Look at chapter 6, verse 10. To whom shall we speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, spiritually deaf, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. We don't want to hear God's word. They have no delight in it. Look at verse 13. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness, which is the sin of idolatry, by the way. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Notice secondly, verse 7 through 9. The deserved judgment is reluctantly explained. And I say reluctantly because God does not want to judge. God is forced to judge. 
through a refusal to turn. This section, notice, begins and ends with rhetorical questions. They have obvious answer. Yahweh reasons how could he pardon Judah's apostasy by her many sins that she had not removed through repentance. Yahweh says they were treacherous by their idolatry. Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. No power. And yet they gave allegiance to them. Yahweh says that rather than to be grateful for the provisions he had given to them, they became covetous to seek their own sexual pleasure. You see, the thing with, with not being content is you always want more. You always, I mean, how much is enough? That's for all of us. We're all on different levels, but we have to find that contentment. And if we're not careful, then we're led by things. Here, God had provided for them rather than turning saying, Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you for your goodness. They just used it as a platform to further more hunger. In this context, the sexual pleasure. Just to run rampant, do what they want. When I had fed them like uh, to the full, then they committed adultery and assembled themselves by truth in the heartless house. What a picture. There's so much poetry in Jeremiah. I mean, here they're, they're, I mean, they're just like animals. Social immorality. Without doubt, this was related to the uh, cult practices of Baal and Ashram and the rest. Now notice in verse 8, Yahweh likens their life to the animal level. He says, they are like well-fed, lusty stallions, everyone named after his neighbor's wife. Their sense of decency and honor for the family unit had been lost. They had lost the ability to be ashamed or even blush. In fact, he tells them that in chapter 6, verse 15. He says, uh, were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No, they were not all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. You find it in 8.12 also. When's the last time you saw someone blush? It's refreshing when I can see someone blush. The society was filled with adultery after the fertility cults. Look to our nation. We worship Moloch, Baal, Mammon. Notice lastly in verse 9, Yahweh declares he is justified in his judgment. Here's the bottom line, people. He is justified in his judgment. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? Both questions are rhetorical. Yes. The judgment of God is not only right, but long coming. For he declares later on in verse 29. He says, shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation of this? He says it again. The answer is yes. Oswald Chambers, if you've never read anything of his, I would recommend him for anything and everything. He says this. The sin of a heathen nation never comes anywhere near the sin of what we call a Christian nation. Why? Because of the measure of light. You remember Gehazi, the servant of Elisha? As he ran after the gold and the silver and the Babylonish garment, as Nahum was headed back. Elisha said to Gehazi when he came back, Where did you go, Gehazi? And Gehazi responded, your servant did not go anywhere. Oh, there's the answer. You're running after sexual pleasure, wealth, 
Whatever, you're running nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot and meet you? Is it time to receive money, to receive clothing, oil, groves, and vineyards, sheep, and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from the presence as a leprous, as white as snow. Second Kings 5, 25 through 27 or so. Amazing. There are times when God declares that it is too late for a nation or a person. Hosea 4.17 and 7.8 and 9. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Ephraim has mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. I like the old King James, half done. You ever go to IHOP and they give you a pancake half done? What do you do when you put it in your mouth? You spit it out, it gags you. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he doesn't know it. Ooh, That's what sin does, it eats you up, destroys your life. Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him. Yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face, but they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Sometimes that line is crossed. But if there's conviction in your heart, then you haven't crossed it. The evidence that you're here, you haven't crossed it. If you have crossed it, you wouldn't be in a church. You wouldn't feel bad. You would just be given up to yourself. Thank God for pain. You understand? We better thank God for pain. It's a signal for us to correct what's wrong. The judgment of God is with a broken heart always, but it is due only to a refusal to repent. Always. You remember Jesus as he approached Jerusalem and he wept over her? Because he knew the horror that awaited her. As he wept, he said, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Luke 19, 41 and 42. For some of you, this is your day. And if you pass it, it's going to be hidden from your eyes. God has been convicting you, dealing with you, and you need to turn. The judgment of God comes in different ways. He can give us over to our sin as Roman 1. Or he can give us over to the consequences to affect us physically, emotionally, whatever it may be. He can intervene directly and take our lives. He can do whatever he wants. But ultimately, if we don't turn, he will judge us at the white throne judgment for our sin. For having rejected his forgiveness. And so the holy, righteous judgment of God is evident by Yahweh's certainty to judge sin also. What a message for Jeremiah to deliver. Man, the holy, righteous judgment of God is evident by these three things. Yahweh's willingness to pardon sin, never forget it. I don't care what has happened to you or you have done. He can forgive you. Yahweh's patience with ongoing sin. Don't push it. Respond to it. Yahweh's certainty to judge sin. Don't deceive yourself. It is certain. And so I pray that each of us would learn from this and that we would take heed. Lest the same thing happen to us. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing today's study to a close with a clear description of the gospel, the same yesterday as it is today, and offered as a free gift to you and me. And just before we close for today, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled God's Reluctant Judgment are available on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll be able to include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is simply God's Reluctant Judgment, or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And we hope you'll join us again soon for more Simple Truths right here with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com